When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 82 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. My name is Bethany. I will be your host for this episode. And today, please welcome back Marissa and Katie from MNK Talkway Podcast. Hello. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having us again. Yeah, fun to be back. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. The last time you were here was so much fun. And Omega Bob gets lots of shout outs. So everybody loves you. <laughs> I actually just started a new listener survey. I try to do one every year. I say as this is the, as I've only been podcasting for a year and a half, but I try to do one at the end of every year. And there have been several shout outs to like, Omega Bob was my favorite part of this episode or something. Oh my gosh. Love it. That's amazing. Yes. So we haven't seen you since Scarlet and Omega Bob. So tell everyone how you're doing and what's new with MNK Talkway podcast. Oh, where to begin? Um, how we're doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how is anyone doing these days? Um, we're still here. <laughs> we're yeah, we're still here. We're still podcasting. Um, amazingly, um, we are wrapping up our fourth season as podcasters so our fourth year which sounds insane but um i feel like yeah, we should, we've been doing it for a while now yeah. we need to like stop saying we're new to podcasting at this point right <laughs> yeah. i know i keep wondering at what point i'll feel like a i don't know real podcaster when the syndrome goes away. <laughs> <laughs> well i was listening to um a panel at the um y'all fest i was I listened to almost all of them, confession. But um, on one of the latest ones, someone said um, that they like to think of themselves in terms of how old they are based on when they wrote their first book. So if we're going by podcasting, uh, Katie and I are four years old. <laughs> so okay, we still I am a, I'm a year and a half old next week. <laughs> so I'm learning how to walk and say words. <laughs> Hey, important milestones, right? Yes, um, yes, yes, no, yes. But our podcast is going very well. We are um, currently, we just finished the uh, Blood of Stars duology by Elizabeth Lim. Uh, we read Unravel, wait, what was the first one? Spend the Dawn. Uh, Spend the Dawn and Unravel the Dusk. And we are actually just moving on this week to our next series, which is going to be The Star-Touched Queen by Roshani. The Star-Touched Queen. Yeah, The Star-Touched Queen by uh, Roshani Shaksky. So that's going to be exciting. And I think it's our last series of the year. So, yeah, we really are almost done with season four. Wow. Yeah. One more season, and then we always do um, a recap and then a bloopers reel to, like, kind of – bloopers are going to be good this year. (laughs) Oh, there's so many. (laughs) There's so many. Every time we edit, we just cut out bloopers and – I think we're up to like 20 minutes right now. So <laughs> so what are you currently reading at the moment? Uh, just everything you mentioned for the podcast already? Do you have any like private things that you're reading just for yourselves? I just started reading Mexican Gothic for a book club, but I'm like two chapters in so far, but I'm excited. 
It's such a pretty cover. I meant to read it last month, but you know, good, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reading Plain Bad Heroines by Emily Danforth. Um, it's a gothic romance is how I would describe it. Um, but it's, it's very interesting. It's also a very long book. It's like over 600 pages and I have not dug into like a, a super long book like that in a while. So it's been, um, kind of exciting to read something different. Yeah, that does sound exciting. So I am currently reading Howl's Moving Castle because there was a request to do a bonus episode on it for Patreon. And I was like, oh, fun. I love that. And then I went to like take a peek through the book so I could get an idea of notes. And I was like, you know, I can't even remember the last time I read this book. I don't think I've ever read it. No, I haven't either. Oh, it's delightful. I mean, I love her Crestomancy series. I'm very mm-hmm. familiar with those. But um, no, I have not, have not read that one. I would definitely recommend it. It's it's very good, and it's one of the few adaptations that turned out quite lovely as well. So as this episode comes out, I also want to take a quick moment to say happy birthday to my grandfather, 92, the week that this comes out. Awesome. Happy birthday. Does he listen to the podcast? No. <laughs> No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that would no. be like... I'm just taking me. a moment. Uh, there are a lot of birthdays going on in my family right now. Like my husband and my aunt, their birthday is November 28th. They have the same birthday, but obviously different years. Um, or not obviously. Maybe I'm really in told, guys. You guys don't know. It's not, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, it's not, though. <laughs> They're like... It's, it's like a 25-year age difference. But, you know... Uh, and then my sister, Samantha, her birthday is November 24th. My dad's birthday is November 12th. My in-law's uh, wedding anniversary is also November 12th. My birthday is December 15th. My grandmother's birthday is December 31st. One of the Patreon, like I've got like three Patreon birthdays wow. in December. There's a lot going on right now. Lots to celebrate. That that's, is a lot. Yes. Yes, so much to celebrate in Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah. So, and and all the other holidays. I'm sorry if I don't say them because I honestly I don't know all of them off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I know mine, <laughs> <laughs> but like I I kind of expect that, right? Like people who aren't Jewish probably don't know a lot about Hanukkah other than like eight nights or whatever. So, <laughs> totally. And I right. just celebrate whatever Instagram tells me, like if it's National <laughs> Dog Day or National Donut Day or whatever. I'm I'm all for celebrating all the things. So November 12th is actually National Peanut Butter Day. And I only know that because that is my dad's birthday and he likes to point it out. So (laughs) good to know. (laughs) He gets some good treats that day. He does absolutely love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I don't know if you guys know this, but you can get like a huge Reese's Peanut Butter Cup that's like half a pound. Whoa. Yeah, they're huge. They're like comically huge. So (laughs) I need a picture. (laughs) I usually usually buy those and then I'll like that's what he gets and then it stays in the freezer and he just eats small portions of it at a time oh my god such a lucky yeah, animal yeah <laughs> my dad's really cool so I get him lots of presents he also drives a jeep which he recently got ducked apparently from like jeepers people who drive jeeps they like to leave like little rubber duckies and a note on a jeep if they think it looks cool Something I've never heard of, but my dad was like ecstatic. <laughs> um, so he's he's just a big goofball. I got him a pair of socks that said like 
I'm not like a regular dad. I'm a Jeep dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a dad of daughters, right? Isn't it just sisters? Yeah, it's all daughters. Yeah. All daughters. Poor guy. I love dads and daughters. <laughs> Maybe that's why he likes my husband so much. It's like his first son. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they uh, they definitely do boy stuff whenever they get together. It's always like, let's go four-wheeling and mudding and burgers and beer. And it's like, my dad doesn't even like beer. <laughs> it's a boy thing. <laughs> Love it. So today we're going to talk about chapters 33 and 34. But first, we're going to do some Fan Art Friday from December 4th. Uh, this first one is Kai. In New Beijing Palace, it is by Cosmic Nova Flare. I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about her at this point because I've shared like 30 of her artworks. So as always, please go check out her Instagram page for more. But first, I really love this. I love the palace. I love that there's like a reflection off the ground and it's all shiny and marbly. And Kai's like standing there on his phone and his hair is messy and all of the like design detail that's going on in it. I just absolutely love it. I just want to be quarantined there. Yeah. With those big old yeah. windows and yeah. <laughs> Sliding down those banisters was so fun. <laughs> and you're a big Kai fan, Very right, cool. Marissa? He's your favorite. I the- so am. He's my favorite in this year. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite, they're all great. <laughs> but um, no, I'm a really big fan of Prince Kai. Um, I like how he's kind of vulnerable a lot where he's, you know, trying to figure out how to be a king and you know, how to negotiate or navigate his love life with uh, Miss Cinder. Um, And I just love his messy hair. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly disheveled kings, I guess, are a a soft spot for me. I also really just love getting this type of fan art. A lot of fan art um, is, you know, like a a face or a portrait. And I love getting to see like a a setting from the books as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's always fun to mix it up and get different scenes of fan art throughout the series. And that's what's so cool about this series too, because there are so many interesting settings. Like it's not like a american dystopian fiction where it all takes place in like the same block radius right we <laughs> right <laughs> we're all over the world yep oh such a good point because i also read the testing series this year and it all takes place in a very small space <laughs> <laughs> so big thank you for sharing that with us and then the second one is um from dura's dolls on instagram it's thorn's promise to keep crest safe in very pretty handwriting, it says, I am a criminal mastermind and I have a plan. And uh, I love him like leaning on her and her dress and her hair is kind of swoop, swoopy. I love swoopy bangs. I can't pull them off, but I love when other people have them. <laughs> it's so funny you called out the handwriting. <laughs> I do not have great handwriting. So I don't either. I totally I'm like, it. good. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm a Thorn fan, so. Oh, me too. Me too. He's taken some heat from from a couple of my Patreon people in this book for all the desert stuff. So <laughs> I'm oh, waiting for yeah. his redemption. <laughs> the inappropriate bathroom scene we didn't like. I remember when we read that. Yeah, the when gambling with like, the hot chick on your lap. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that. And when she's like taking a shower and he's just like standing in the doorway. Even though he's blind yeah. and can't see anything, but she's like very exposed and not okay with it. 
Yeah, definitely inappropriate. Blind or not doesn't, being blind does not excuse uh, personal You shouldn't make other people <laughs> uncomfortable either, right? No. <laughs> the whole reason he put on the blindfold in the first place was because he said it, he thought people were getting uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is why I love Thorne, though. He's a pirate prince. He's not perfect all the time. In fact, a lot mm-hmm. of times he's really not perfect, but that's part of his charm. <laughs> I would say the majority of the time he's not perfect. <laughs> but he definitely thinks he is um, yeah. most of the time. He loves himself enough for all everyone else to give him some hate. <laughs> balances out. So true. <laughs> Uh, I often think of Thorne, uh, and I'm pretty sure you guys have read this thing called Harry Potter. Um, I've heard of that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> heard of huge fan. Uh, <laughs> so I often in my brain think of Thorne as also a type of Florida decor. Like people, you know, on the surface, they're shallow. They think about how they look. They know they're attractive and, you know, things like that. And then. I always love that scene in book six when she's like, I'm attractive enough for the both of us. This just shows that my husband is brave. Like, you know, this moment where you get to see her true, her true self shine. And I think of Thorne like that sometimes like, yes, he's this surface level shallow guy who only cares about his looks and money and frivolous things. But I I keep waiting for under the surface to come up. Yeah. <laughs> Deep down. Yeah, hidden depth. Deep down. <laughs> deep, 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 deep down. Way, way, way deep down. <laughs> so a big thank you for sharing those fan arts. Uh, last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles. Chapter 31 is titled The Gambler by Fun. And chapter 32 is titled Consequences by Camila Cabello, which I'm really excited about because that's one of my favorite songs, despite how sad it is. And that's it. We are ready for chapter discussion already. I have gotten so much better about at tangents. <laughs> <laughs> My little gold stars, I want them. <laughs> uh, last week, um, what did we leave off with last week? <laughs> Thorne just found out that Crest was gone, right? Right. She's been kidnapped. Oh, kidnapped. Um, she was grabbed from behind and taken to who knows where. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I enjoy all the characters and these were not bad chapters by any means, but when you invited us to do chapters from Cress, I definitely thought we'd get more Thorn in our chapters than we did. And I'm I was well sorry. <laughs> no, I'm it's all good. <laughs> Last week was we a lot Thorn of Thorn and Kai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too good. Yeah. <laughs> But there's a more to come. We haven't even started winter yet. It's true, <laughs> true. Don't worry. <laughs> but we left off. Thorne was beating up Jamal. Despite being blind, he had a very, like, badass action hero movie moment. And then he was going to run away with his new escort droid to find Cress. And this week we're back with Cress. She's still in the van. This just sounds dreadful. Mm. Poor girl can't catch a break. <laughs> right? She just cannot seem to get it. Like, every time it feels like she's finally there, it's like, nope, there's more than this. As if walking through a desert wasn't enough. No, because now we also have to be kidnapped. And according to Jamal from the last chapter, sold on the black market <laughs> to who knows what for who knows how much and what they're going to do. It's it's horrible. 
it's definitely like a taken situation. Yes. <laughs> Where Thorne is Liam Neeson. <laughs> but Thorne is not Liam Neeson. <laughs> Thorne is like Thorne is like the the budget actor you got to play Liam Neeson because you didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> so you got out, like yeah. so you got like you got like Albert from the theater downtown to do it or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor Crush. She's thirsty. She's hungry. She's bruised and trembling. And she wants to know what they want with her. It's dark. She can't sleep. So she's she's consumed by her thoughts. And she's just a worthless shell. She's been told her whole life she's a worthless shell. What on earth could these people possibly want from her? No clue. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, who wouldn't have those thoughts if you were like, you know, tied up in the back of a van? I mean, it's definitely a dark moment for her. So I can totally get where uh, her thoughts her thought processes right now, even though I felt, I felt really bad for her. I was like, how would I react if I was, you know, kidnapped and tied up in the back of a van, probably feeling pretty bad and sorry for myself too. You know, part of me wants to be like, I would totally find a way to get out. But part of me is like, no, I'd probably just sit there wallowing in self pity. (laughs) (laughs) If we're being transparent and 100% honest, like my brain is like, you could totally try to find a way to save yourself. But I don't know. I'd probably spend at least a couple minutes wallowing. It's funny to think about like what would Scarlett have done in this situation or what would Cinder have done in this situation? I love how all of the like female leads have such distinct, but very different kind of personalities and approaches to um, difficult situations. Scarlett would already be like (laughs) planning. Scarlett wouldn't even be in this situation. No, (laughs) That's true. (laughs) She would have taken them out. Leaps and bounds before. She would have gone up to Thorn in the first place instead of being like, oh, I feel bad that he's talking to someone else. (laughs) No, she would have been like, what the hell do you think you're doing? (laughs) You're going to blow our cover, you idiot. (laughs) And then Cinder would already be like, she would be tied up in the back of a van and immediately would be thinking of ways to escape. And she would do it. Like they would get to their destination and she would not be in the van. (laughs) She'd like somehow disable the car from the trunk and like. That's what I was going to say. She's like trying to find a way to like saw her way out of the back door or something. Plus she would have not believed anybody's lies because she's got her little lie detector thing, right? That is very handy though. And poor Cress is so trusting. And I've said this a, a couple of times, but Gina went from like helpful stranger to lunar trafficker psycho in like two seconds. So Cress yeah. mm-hmm. had no reason not to trust her. I mean, up until that point, she had proven herself to be a very kind person. Whoops. And she grew up in a satellite with yeah, like, she no other know. human interaction. Yeah. So. She's not a I mean, I could have easily she didn't do high fallen school. for that. <laughs> she didn't even have high school. Middle school Bullying even. builds yeah. characters. Have you guys seen that meme? <laughs> I'm not supporting bullying, okay? I've been there. It's horrible. It has lasting effects. But I, there was a meme running around a while back that said, like, bullying builds character. And I was like, oh, kind of. <laughs> Cress has definitely been bullied. But she tells herself, like, Thorne is going to come for her. He's going to come get her. And then she kind of loses hope almost right away. He couldn't see. He didn't know where she'd gone. He probably didn't even know that she was missing yet. And when he found out, what if he thought she'd abandon him? What if he didn't care? The only person in the world that knows that she's in danger doesn't actually know that she's in danger and might not help even if he does. 
Ooh. Perhaps he wasn't a hero at all, but just the selfish, arrogant, womanizing. Yeah, I mean, perhaps yeah. so, Cress. <laughs> <laughs> he did try to How warn you, I guess. She hasn't really known this guy for that long. I mean, she's followed him in the tabloids, but personally, you know, he's still. I mean, how well do you know someone from their public persona, right? Like, even like someone's online dating profile, like you, anything that you get from, I mean, even if it's like whatever, but yeah, you don't really know someone until you actually get to know them. I mean, if I were if I were to look up like someone's Instagram right now, I might learn that they like the color blue, or that they like to read this type of books, or that they take lots of pictures of their dogs or food. But I wouldn't know if I could trust them in a damsel situation where I've been taken hostage, right? <laughs> and I hope we never I, do. <laughs> I hope I never do. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure. It's. It's a really terrifying moment, but Thorne does seem to be her only chance to be rescued. So we, she kind of doesn't have any choice. She kind of just has to hope that he can be there for her, but maybe he won't because he was playing cards with this really hot chick. And again, even if he wanted to, she doesn't know if he knows she's gone, knows where, like, how is he going to find her? She just disappeared in a truck in the desert. (laughs) Yeah. And he can't see (laughs) But then I love how she always resorts back to kind of like the fantasy situations that she creates in her head because then later she's like, no, he's going to come for me. He's a hero. I'm a damsel. And this is how Mm -hmm. the story goes. Like, this is how it has to go. And so I like that that's always kind of her default. Like, she just resorts back to these dream or fantasy worlds that she creates in her head. And she's like, nope, this is the script. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's actually a really theme. helpful like tool for, for depression and anxiety and stuff that she has this way of calming herself down. Mm, like a mantra almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she does. You're right. She does a lot of catching <laughs> herself too. Like she mm-hmm, keeps crying yeah. and stuff, but then she's like, no, let's try to stop. Or like, um, what did she like replace her clenched teeth? And attempted to calm herself again. Or like, I mean, she she's trying to she knows that like crying and being upset isn't helping. She can't help it to some extent, but she is trying to like get herself out of this situation a little bit, mentally at least. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually she does cry herself to sleep, which probably helps and hurts, I guess. It passes the time, you know. Yep. The van stops and it wakes her up. They've been driving through the night. And Gina says, don't bruise her. I want top payment. And you know how she, how he negotiates. The guy wants help. (laughs) It's like, someone want to help me back here? It's like, what? You can't take her. She's so small. It's like, come on, just a little help. (laughs) She does try to fight. Yeah. I was going to say, it's almost that moment where like she hears this, here's this other man call her like a little waif right and then she steals herself that's that's what it says she steals herself and she's like okay you know what i'm all i have right now so i'm going to show them what this little waif can do i'm going to lunge fight be ferocious bite scratch Mm -hmm. um and so this like kind of inner strength comes out of her which i really like to see because i don't know if it would have been a little less um, interesting if she just kind of stayed this passive character who just like let all these things happen to her. But she really like 
dwells on her inner strength and, and comes out fighting, which I love. I love that too, but I also love that it doesn't work because she, it shouldn't work for her, right? Like she is (laughs) the small untrained, like, I mean, she did have to like build up all of that courage in like a couple of moments. I'm glad that she did it. I'm glad that she tried, but I also, it's kind of funny, funny is the wrong word, but like part of me is glad that the man just caught her and like cut it down or Mm -hmm. stopped it like in its tracks because I think it would have been almost too fairy tale ish if she had just like gotten away because she decided to run at the last moment. Yeah. It wouldn't have yeah, been would realistic. Because that's exactly what I'm a small person. Like, that's exactly what's going to happen. If I'm out there like, I'm going to get you. They're going to be like, oh, okay. No, I feel like that's what would happen with me too. I'd have a great plan in my head and execute right? step one and then be like, done. I mean, she does try. Like, she she jumps on his back. She claws at his eyes. Like, she tries to go all in. And then he literally just picks her up like a – like a toddler and is like, are you done throwing a temper tantrum? Cause we don't have a lot of time. So I can either shoot you or you can go potty and get back in the car. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I like that he points out like, I'm going to shoot you, but I won't kill you and you don't have anywhere to go. So it's not going to be, do fun. you want to be <laughs> injured and traveling in the car or do you want to just get back in the car? These are your choices. Mm. Obviously, I don't like that he gives her those choices. But again, it's realistic because, yeah. I mean, Scarlet in this situation might be like, yeah, fine, kill me. Who cares? <laughs> I She'd probably call well, their so. bluff. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Scarlet would call their bluff. For sure. Yeah. So she goes potty. She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. And she wants to cry. She wants to beg him to help her. But then part of her is like, no, I don't want to beg this man for anything. And again, I think that's showing growth in her care. Like, I think this is all preparing Mm -hmm. her for even more up ahead. Like she, she's in these new situations that she's only maybe read about and fantasized about. And, and, you know, when you think about a fairy tale, even the hard part, she like mostly focus on the happy endings and stuff. And it's like, okay, no, I need to like, I'm not going to make this worse for myself than it already is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Every step is like a moment of growth for her because she is so new to the world. Like even when she was fantasizing about escaping, she was like, I'm going to run fast as a cheetah and graceful as a, gaz- as a gazelle. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, like that's a really great fantasy. But like, I, do, I do like that, that she's like. Because mm-hmm. I think Cress five days ago would have been fantasizing about how someone else might save her, like a tall, dark stranger or thorn. Or something like she wouldn't necessarily have been like looking within herself to be her own net drama hero. And I, I think like, that this is big personal growth for her. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's becoming uh, someone who can do things on her own. Not yes. quite there yet, but she's becoming that. <laughs> Takes time, but she is getting there. So, and that's kind of the end of the chapter. She gets back in the car or the van And she just keeps telling herself over and over again, Thorne is going to come for her because he has to. She still doesn't really know why they took her. All she knows is that they can't injure her. Like, they want her alive. Yeah, they want her alive. They don't want to, but they will, and they just (laughs) won't kill her. I really do feel bad for her in this moment because this is just... There's a very real feeling of hopelessness that could overwhelm her right now. And she's barely hanging on. And I just want to hug her and rescue her and like 
And again, I don't whole know. new world for her, right? Like even just being around mm-hmm. other people and then being on earth and then be like, think of how I know this new is her first car ride is. and she can't even like enjoy it because she's kidnapped. <laughs> I will say Marissa Meyer is so good at like tormenting her characters, like in a good way. Cause like your characters have to grow, right? And they have to change and they have to have their arc. And one way you do that is introduce conflict. And man, is she brutal. Like, <laughs> She does not hold back. And you know, it's good for us as the reader. It gives us a reason to keep reading. It keeps us interested. It keeps us invested in these characters and their arcs and what's going to happen to them. Exactly. So let's talk about your chapter titles for 33. Marissa, do you want to go first? Yeah. So for this chapter, I picked as my song, um, Rescue Me from One Republic. (laughs) Um, because I was just in Cress's mindset where she was just like pleading to be rescued and it's very on the nose, but, um, I thought it was appropriate. That is a good one. What about you, Katie? So I only know T-Swift songs, or at least when I'm asked to come up with them, that's all I can think of. So I don't even know if you have used this one already, but I was just thinking. That's the inside of my brain as well. So we're kindred spirits there. <laughs> um, if this was a movie by Taylor Swift, the Speak Now oh. album. Because I feel like that's kind of how she's thinking about Thor and like if this in the story you're supposed to come and rescue me and I know it's a little bit different in the in the song but it's sort of like if this were a movie this is how it would play out and like this is the happy ending we get and whatnot and so that kind of just reminded me of her attitude throughout this. It works. Come back for me. Yeah, Uh, if this were a movie, you'd be you'd be here by now. It works, and I love that song. It's such an underrated song. We could work it out somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it works. I think it works very well. You did good. <laughs> Taylor Swift can uh, uh, apply in any situation, I'm convinced. <laughs> I know, right? I've said that before that like I could pretty much choose a Taylor Swift song for every chapter, so I have to branch out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I chose Hero by Mariah Carey because Cress is Ooh. she's trying to be her own hero, and that's the song. There's a hero if you look inside your heart. Um, and I think that's what Cress is doing. She's trying to look inside herself. She's trying to find her own heroic motivations. And and while that's proving to be very difficult, she is doing it. I mean, you know, Cress from a week ago might not have been brave enough to jump on his back and claw at his eyes. I totally agree. Yeah, she still has hope for Thorn, and like that's helping her get through. But she is, like I said, like building up her own defenses and own strength and like yeah she's becoming a hero herself for herself her self-preservation is kicking in more (laughs) so katie do you want to share your quote from this chapter yeah so it actually ties in really well with what you were just talking about so my favorite was when she was deciding to fight back basically so when she was like she would lunge she would fight she would be ferocious and i just kind of love that attitude shift where she's like you know Again, she's a small girl. She doesn't really know the situation. Doesn't know what's going to happen when it's out there when she gets out there. But she's like, I'm going to do something about it. And I, I love that character shift for her. I agree. How about you, Marissa? Um, I picked the quote where um, Cress says, "Thorn would come for her. She was a hero, or he was a hero. She was a damsel. That's how the stories went. That's how they always went." And I liked that quote just because I love Little Cress and how she lives in her own fantasy world and just everything that happens to her in real life, she somehow compares to a story or like a fantasy tale. Um, And so I just like that that's kind of what she clings to, like in moments of 
of um, terror or hardship, like that's always where she, where she goes back and that's like her comfort place. So um, I just, I liked that quote. It felt appropriate. It does. And, and both of your quotes tie in with mine. Thorn would come for her. He was a hero. She was a damsel. That's how the stories went. That's how they always went. No, we picked the same quote. <laughs> yes. It ties in so well. The Katie's went with ours beautifully. And I love when people pick the same quotes because it's like this moment of like, yes, it hit us both in the same spot. We have the mm-hmm. same feels. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I picked it for the same reasons you did. This is heartbreaking. But I am loving this character development from her. I'm loving this character growth. And as a hopeless romantic, I definitely would have this moment too where I'm like trying to find something to cling to to get me through this moment. I wouldn't say Cress is my favorite necessarily. Like if I was picking who I could be in the story, it wouldn't necessarily be Cress. But I do feel like she's the most like what I would actually be in the story. Like I, I would love to be more like Scarlet and stubborn and like whatever, but like in reality, I'd probably be crass if I was in this book. <laughs> I'm 100% crass. I am, I'm, I'm socially awkward. I love drama, like watching drama, not being a part of it. Just to be clear, I can't actually handle it because I have anxiety. But uh, I'm a hopeless romantic and I want people to be my friends. And I don't understand how to make that happen. And I say weird things and get quiet. Like I'm totally living my head and make up situations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was actually, I mentioned this a while back that my sisters and I used to play games like this all the time where we would come up with fictional stories. Like I'm ratting out my sisters now, but uh, this because they're so dumb. But I know that we used to love doing this. There was like this um, big open pavilion at a a church, like down the street from our house. And (laughs) this is so stupid. Don't judge me. We used to go to this pavilion and we would pretend it was our house. And we would be like, okay, so in this corner is the living room. Yeah. And then the TV could go over here. And then like we would stand in the spot of where like the TV or the dresser was. And we would bring chalk and like draw out. Like this is the living room and this is the kitchen. And whoever was at that church must have looked under that pavilion once a week and been like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Oh, they're here again. (laughs) But we used to love doing stuff like that. I remember we used to like put on music and pretend we were doing a a music video (laughs) very traumatically, (laughs) like singing white horse into a hairbrush. I mean, we were the oh, same way that me and my sisters. Imagination <laughs> games all day long. Our our go to was the princess and the superhero. My sister was always the princess, and I was always the superhero. And we had like these elaborate backstories for all these other characters in this <laughs> world that we lived in. Oh yeah, we used to. Um, also, we would walk around with fake accents just to see if anybody believed that we were actually like British or something. <laughs> We would give false names. Like you go to Starbucks and they're like name. And we would be like, what's a cool name? And we would just like come up with some random name. Like, okay. Although this happened to me once. I gave a fake name and they asked me how to spell it. And I had no idea. And it was so embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, you're so cute. I said my name was Sahithia, which I think is beautiful, but I did not know how to spell it. I I don't know how to... I don't know why, but that makes me think of like a, some kind of flower, but I, I definitely would not have any, if, if you told me that was your name, I'd be like, what? Definitely need you to spell that one. I was like, it'll be easier if you just write Katie. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was my response. 
<laughs> but everyone uh, calls me Katie. That's amazing. So Renegade Anarchist on Instagram started this thing way before quarantine. They would like go to Starbucks and give out character names instead of their name. Love it. Mm. When I <laughs> when I go to Starbucks, it means that I went to Target and walked around for an hour. So that's what I like to do is I turn on like a podcast or an audiobook. I get a coffee and I walk around Target doing nothing. I just walk around. I don't even buy stuff half the time. Sounds so wonderful. they got in the <laughs> so they got in the habit of knowing that I don't ever give my actual name. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started going back to Target a little bit, because quarantine, you're, I'm trying not to go to places, but there are times when I need stuff and I'd rather get it at Target. And I like I went there and I remember his name is Brandon. He's really cool. This is how often I see these people. It's like once a week. I'm like, can I have this coffee? And I, I went up to him and he's like, oh, what's the name this time? Oh, my God. And I had to think for a second. I was like, I don't know. I haven't been here in so long. I don't remember what names I've used. And he's like, I feel like I want to know why you're always using a different name. But I also don't. <laughs> yeah, it keeps the mystery going, right? It's like, you might just be a crazy person. Like, it might be something fun, but you also might be like, well, these are all my personalities. <laughs> I love you never know who you're going to get. I work with um, a bunch of developers right now and I've been making test files for them. So I like make up patient names and think, or, you know, like people's names for these files and they can always tell which ones are mine because I'll pick like Harry Potter names or like, you know, like I always like pick a theme versus everyone else is like Joe Smith or whatever, but <laughs> I love it. My actually, my colleague, colleague and I used to um, name our work orders based off of Harry Potter villains, depending on how hard the work order was. Love it. So we had like nice. we had chunks of work that we had to name and so I'd be like hey how's Dolores Sunbridge coming and she'd be like well <laughs> she's fine but Severus Snape is really giving me a hard time <laughs> I love it that's Got perfect my husband and I have been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine lately because we never saw it and someone said we should watch it in quarantine and so we've been talking to each other in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine types of <laughs> conversation so like we'll say cool 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 and sign our text messages sincerely and then our name <laughs> and the other day like I don't remember what he did or said but I was like how very Captain Holt of you and he like sent me a text message like it is I Captain Raymond Holt yes thank you sincerely <laughs> Captain Raymond Holt and I just like I just started busting up laughing so everyone go watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine it's really funny <laughs> I've never seen that, but my husband and I do that with The Sopranos. Nice, yeah. Yeah, he can do a really good Chrissy voice, and I can do a really good Adriana voice. So sometimes that's just that's just our back and forth for the evening. <laughs> yeah, I I always I get people all the time that are like, "Oh, you and your husband must be so cool," and I'm like, "Oh, you guys have no idea how lame we are. <laughs> we are so not cool." <laughs> But proof we married the right people if they just go along with these same games right? or whatever with us, right? <laughs> they go along with so much. <laughs> we were talking the other day, sidetrack, but we are going to get back, I promise. But we were talking the other day about something 
And his sister was like, oh, I get it. Bethany's the queen because you're the king of the castle. And he's like, no, because she's the queen of my heart. And she's like, that has Bethany written all over it. That is the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And so I was joking and I was like, you should start texting people as a king. Like instead of saying, hey, what's up? Do you want to have dinner? You should be like, by order of the proclamation of the king. (laughs) So now he's actually text like his friend was supposed to come over. And so he was like, by proclamation of King Quentin Marcel finger the first like <laughs> may he live forever yes may he live forever long live the king <laughs> love it perhaps we should talk about long live the yes yeah, speaking <laughs> of kings let's get to long live the emperor I, I was saying how much better i got at tangents and then we went that direction Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your your podcast. And now back to the show. <laughs> so we're with Kai. He's at the research facility. Uh, he goes to our girl, Fatine. If you don't remember her, she was the lab assistant that thought Dr. Erland was a pervert because he only got excited about teenage girls. Pretty suspicious. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very suspicious. I had some really good artwork for that one. She's very helpful. Of course, because he's the emperor. I love how he's like not expecting it, though. He's sort of like, well, maybe I can like get around it if I like word it this way. But it's like, no, you're a moment. Yeah, Emperor Kai, she's a criminal. Like, <laughs> who's gonna say no to you? He's like, <laughs> I also love that he's like, there was this cyborg, and she's like, I know who it is. I have the <laughs> internet. Like, <laughs> we yeah. all know who Lynn Cinder is. <laughs> We've only been talking about her as a nation or whatever for the last <laughs> As <week>. a world. <laughs> as a planet. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the doctor said she was there to fix a Medroid. And here's where Kai finds out that was a cover story. She was a volunteer, in quotations. Kai wonders if he's only getting access because it's Cinder and she's and criminals don't have like the same legal rights or if it's because those privacy laws don't apply to cyborgs. I think it's probably both. But what what do you guys think? Do you think it's because he's the emperor? Do you think it's because criminals don't have legal rights? Do you think it's because cyborgs don't have legal rights? I think it's like a little bit of all of that. And I even think it's this nurse or or lab assistant or whatever, because she seems to be a little bit flexed with the, I don't, I mean, like even that comment, I guess before about Dr. Earl, I don't know. I feel like she just wants to be part of the drama and part of what's happening and like help out. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I feel like also if you're the emperor, you can get around HIPAA laws probably. I don't, I don't know what kind of laws they have, but I would, I would think it's probably both like, Kai is the emperor, so the emperor gets what the emperor wants, but also cyborgs are definitely sort of second-class citizens in this world, so I think she's maybe more willing to break the rules because of those those two combinations. And if if she's if the records have already been shared, maybe not with the public public, but at least with the police, I think there's also less of a like 
feeling of if the decision has already been made to share it with someone, I feel like there's less of a stigma about sharing it with someone else a little bit. I don't know if that makes I agree. Sense. That makes sense because you've yeah. already shared it. So it's like, oh, you want to take a second look at that. Yep. Yeah. So this is where he finds out she was a volunteer, a volunteer that put up so much of a fight, like they had to override her. And he's like, why would a volunteer put up a fight? Well, she's using the term legally. So legally, they have to call them volunteers, even if they are given up for dead. That's like an interesting concept to me. Yeah, they said mm-hmm. it's her legal guard. So I I mean, that kind of makes sense even in our society a little bit, right? Because your legal guardian, if you're under 18 or whatever, makes decisions on your behalf. So yeah. how does that work for other? I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're not, well, I don't think, volunteering children to be part of medical experiments where they'll likely die. But, um, but for example, and no judgment. Well, slight judgment. But for example, parents can refuse medical treatment on behalf of their children for religious purposes. So that's not dissimilar, right? Yeah. I mean, what if the kid wanted medical treatment or, yeah, it's just, it is interesting. Like the legal guardian technically, legally is the decision maker, but really it's not the person being affected by the decision. Yeah, and that's why everyone who's a teenager and listening right now is like, we can't wait till we're 18. (laughs) (laughs) I remember feeling that way too. (laughs) Yeah. So her guardian gave her up for the testing. They go into these clean, clean lab rooms. And Kai remembers his father and how his father died with all these luxuries surrounding him. And the people, the other people who have the plague wouldn't have been given those benefits. They would have died in a room like this or worse. Yeah, I love seeing him also kind of coming into his role as emperor and growing up in multiple senses of the word after like losing his dad and being in this position of power and like having his first serious crush and all this. Like he's, he's growing up a lot too. And we've seen a lot of character development from him. But I love how he's starting to question things that because he like he he recognizes and he wouldn't have to that he lives a different life than a lot of his people and like even the volunteer question like why would a volunteer put up a fight that's not a question he would normally have asked he would just i think would have assumed oh they're volunteers like i don't feel bad about the draft thing but now it's starting to like put some questions in his mind about what life is like for people who aren't emperor or emperor to be <laughs> And this comes up later in the chapter with, with Torin too. And, yep. you know, Torin is like, well, I mean, they're given up for the draft for this reason. And we'll get to all that. But, like, Torin brings up similar points of, like, well, they're given up for the draft for this reason. You know, they all knew the risks when they became cyborgs. This is just how it is. And, again, Kai is questioning, is that how it should be? Yeah. And it's, like, and, kinda, it's good that he's asking these questions, right? That he's thinking – he's not just accepting – okay, this is how it's been, or this is this makes sense from this lens. He's trying to look at things from all these other sides now. And I think it's good that we're reading these chapters now in 2020 when so much of the last year has been people finding their voice and speaking up for themselves and their neighbors and the people they care about and saying, enough is enough. We're not dealing with this anymore. Because it's hard to get to that point. But clearly Kai is finally realizing like what Cinder was talking about in the very first book. They're treated as second class citizens. They have no legal rights. They have no protections. I mean, her 
mom for all intensive purposes literally was like, can you kill my daughter for money? Thanks. Yep. And he's met the mom. That was, or at least we were there when he met the mom and when she visited, remember she was just horrible. And see, even your dog doesn't like her. No, Toby does not like her at all. No. Hi, Toby. (laughs) Toby has scamp going, who's that mom? (laughs) Marissa, what were you going to say? It's nice to kind of see Kai um, do the work on his own too, because I think that Mm -hmm. like a lot of, a lot of this kind of awakening for him was triggered by meeting Cinder and realizing he had feelings for her and then discovering she was cyborg. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, I, I have known that there have always been cyborgs and I've known that um, people treat them badly, but this is the first time that I've had really close contact with, with someone and, and, you know, have had the chance to call them a friend or, or maybe more than that. And, I feel like that was like a really important trigger for Kai, but I also like that um, he does a lot of the work independently by himself in his own head, rather than um, relying on Cinder to kind of explain things, uh, yeah. which I think is also a great part of being an ally, you know, like doing your own research, um, asking the right questions, listening, um, and kind of not letting another group of people kind of drive our moral compass. Um, So I like to see him doing that. It's good character growth and development for him. And we see more of that through throughout this chapter. He does start asking the right questions. He finds out, we already knew this, but he finds out that her cyborg ratio was 36.28%. And he sees there's a note from the doctor that says, letomosis immunity confirmed. And well, how, how it might not be relevant, but it's common knowledge in the labs that lunars are immune. And there's a theory that they brought letomosis to Earth as carriers. Again, Kai has questions in his head that he doesn't ask out loud. How many lunars would there have had to be brought to Earth to start a pandemic? There's far more fugitives than he realized because he thought there weren't any at all. Right. Yep. And again, he still thinks like lunars are the bad guy, right? Like even though he's yeah. starting to question some things, like lunars are still the enemy of people on Earth at this point in the story, at least because they can do the mind control stuff, and that's just scary. That's really scary. It is true. It's also so interesting to like reread this section in the um, lens of having lived through a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah. that we all have like I remember coming back to this chapter and I was just struck by like how so many things in this scene were um relevant today in a, in a kind of awful way like even them just questioning how the disease even came to his area and the idea of immunity and how some people may be immune and others aren't and why is that um it was just really kind of strange to be reading a sci-fi fantasy book and have so many similarities to our own world. That really struck me. And like the individual risks people take versus the good of the overall, right? Like the whole draft idea is sort of like it it's for the greater good worth it to lose like these five lives and testing and save thousands mm-hmm. of lives or whatever. But for those five lives, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, like Kai says later on in the chapter, you know, I bet it, you know, Torn is like, okay, is this the most important thing? And he's like, there's a guy down the hall that probably thinks it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about what else is revealed in this moment. There is a guy down the hall. Today's draft subject just arrived. 
And again, Kai is surprised by what's going on in his own country. The draft is still going on because he assumed that with Dr. Erland leaving, the draft would have ceased. And I the fact that there's Dr. an antidote in the in, world. In existence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Fatine is like, look, we, some of us, yeah, Dr. Erland was uh, a traitor, and, but we're not going to quit until we find a cure. Some of us still believe in what we're doing here. And Torin steps in there and he's like, no, the, you know, thank you from the crown. We really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And here's perhaps the saddest statement in the book. We've all lost someone to this disease. That was my chapter quote. Did we pick we the same one again? We'll talk about it for sure. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't remember because I took notes like three months okay. ago. No. Um, <laughs> but it, it is an important moment. We've all lost someone to this disease. Now, right now during COVID, I have not. There there have been a couple of scares with people that I know and love and people who've had to get tested. But I, on a personal level, have not. I have. Um, Chad's um, great uncle passed away from it um, a couple weeks ago. And his grandmother actually has it now. So send good thoughts to her, please. Um, Hopefully, I, I don't know. I, I hope that number goes down, obviously. Um, but I, I think it's, it's rare to talk to someone who hasn't known anyone who, is, who has had it at the very least. I know many mm-hmm. people have had it. And, and luckily, most of them have been okay. And that's the other thing. In our world, you can survive our plague for all intents and purposes. But in this 126 TE letamosis, there is no survival. Right. Unless you're a lunar, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty dire. Um, and Kai wants to give her some hope. He wants to give her something to, to, I don't know, motivate her. Uh, Lavana, did the doctor tell you that Lavana has an antidote and it's part of our marriage alliance? No. Nobody told her anything. She's just down here working her little butt off with her braided hair not knowing that all the while someone else already figured it out. Yeah. So do you think he did that to make her feel better? Because I thought he did that more to be, again, like kind of questioning, why are we still doing the draft? Like, again, why are we risking people's lives if there's this potential other solution that I'm giving up so much to attain for us also, right? Because he has to agree to marry her to get it. But I, Yeah, that's a good thinks- point. I think part of me was thinking he did it to to comfort her because she does seem very upset in this moment. She's upset about Dr. Erland leaving them with absolutely nothing. She's upset that um, obviously about the whole cyborg thing. She's mentioned that we've all lost someone this disease. She says like, well, we haven't quit. We're not giving up on finding a cure. Some of us believe in what we're doing down here, even without Dr. Erland. So part of me thought he was trying to, to comfort her and, and remind her like, okay, we all care about what you're doing down here and it is leading somewhere, you know? Yeah. I just, even with her yeah. response, cause she's like, that would change everything. And Kai's like, yeah, it would. And it, part of me was like, again, it's him questioning how things are done and why they're done. And like some of this communication practices and like being aware that things are happening in his country that he doesn't realize are happening. And he doesn't know about it in yeah. his own country. I think he did it to try and stop the draft too. Um, just because like later on he's like, yeah, well she mentioned the draft and you know, so many people are being killed by the disease by us. 
well, we're trying to find a cure. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is, again, him just like ha having his humanity where he's like, yes, I know this information about the antidote is supposed to stay confidential, but also people are dying and what is more important in the long run. Maybe part of him was hoping that telling her that would make her um, question the draft herself. Mm -hmm. You know, right. maybe maybe hearing that there is a an antidote out there already would make her think twice about her actions and the decisions she makes. Maybe now she's going to be like, well, I guess we're giving him the placebo today. Right. And that's too when Kai realizes that the queen's antidote or that Cinder was there the day uh, he gave the antidote to Dr. Erland. Yeah. Well, first, uh, Torin gets pissed. <laughs> like, uh, you can't just go around telling her about the antidote when nobody's confirmed it, okay? They're going to start rumors. People are going to panic. And that's when he realizes, um, yeah, the queen's antidote works. Cinder took it to give to Peony, but she was too late, so she gave it to Sunto. And th again, Kai is jumping to conclusions because he's so desperate to find the good in Cinder, which I love, but also from Torrin's perspective, it's totally like, dude, we've already talked about this. She's a dangerous criminal who's caused out and out galactic war. You've got to take her off this pedestool. <laughs> but it is refreshing too, because I think like, so, so many other people would likely look at that, what, 36% of Cinder that's a cyborg and just automatically mistrust her and like, you know, have this unconscious bias towards her. And instead, Kai's really doing the opposite. Like, he's giving her the benefit of the doubt no matter what. It was so hard for him to marry up what he was being told about her and what he knew about her from personal experience. And so all these mm -hmm. stories about, like, her stealing her sister's ID chip because she was jealous and, like, some of this other, like, she didn't cry because she was so cold-hearted and stuff. Like, it didn't make sense to him when he heard it, but he, like, he didn't have anything to contradict it, but now he's seeing at least the potential other explanation that lines up with the person he knew like, Oh, she didn't cry because she literally couldn't cry because of her cyborg eyes or whatever. Right. And she, you know, wasn't jealous of her sister. She tried to save her and like, she didn't take the antidote herself. She was trying to give it to her sister and she was just too late. And, and she took her chip, not maliciously or because she was jealous or wanted to steal her identity, but because she, she, it was like a part of her and she left her. Yeah. And I like how um, you believe cutting out a loved one's chip is a healthy response. <laughs> and Kai's like, maybe she'd somehow figured out that the androids were harvesting them and giving them to Lunars. Maybe she was just in shock, but I don't think it was out of malice. And I just like, he's still not really sure exactly why she did it, but at least he can start to tell a story that lines up with the person that he believes he knew. This is also very common in books and movies and TV shows, but like just in life, when you want to see the good in a person, you start looking for it and vice versa. Totally. So mm -hmm. it's a great moment for Kai because, and for Torin and us as the reader, because we're seeing this from Kai's perspective. So everything that Cinder does, he's like trying to find the good in it, but Torin sees her as dangerous. So everything she does, he tries to tell like, you know, Torin, Kai is like, Cinder's not dangerous. She just came, she came to the ball to, to warn me about murder. And Torin is like, well, she tried to assassinate the queen. She broke out of prison. She helped a criminal break out of prison. She evaded capture. She started a galactic war. It doesn't seem like she's not dangerous. And then Kai again is like, 
Isn't that impressive? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love her all the more for it. <laughs> yeah. So they, they just have such different perspectives of everything. Torin is like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say convinced, but like it very much feels like Kai is determined to see the good in Cinder and Torin is determined to see the bad. And because of that, the reader gets to see uh, how Cinder's interactions are being interpreted by everyone. And I actually think Torin isn't necessarily convinced to see the bad. Torin definitely has a different perspective and sort of puts country and protocol above some of the mm-hmm. personal stuff for sure. And I think that makes sense for his role and is a good perspective to share. But he, in this chapter too, he said something like it's, it was obvious that you had legitimate feelings for her and I'm sorry that you've had to go through all this. So even though he hasn't come around and said, yeah, she was probably a good person. He can, he's not just like, you're wrong. She's bad news. But I mean, like he might still believe that, but he, I, I kind of love Torin. I think he like, I love Torin. Yeah. I think Torin is the only grown up. Right? <laughs> so many people are like selfishly motivated in this series, adults, especially like Dr. Erland Lavana, like we could Gina. Um, mm-hmm. so, so many adults in these series. And I say adults, like I'm not saying the teenagers aren't adults, okay? But like I'm 30 and I still don't feel like an adult sometimes. So I'm not going to give that title to a 16 year old. But I feel like sometimes Torin is the only like grown up in a room full of kids trying to figure it out. And he's like, okay, but why aren't we just doing the obvious thing? This seems like a flaw. You know, everybody seems to be, (laughs) everybody seems to be like self-motivated and doing it for their own reasons. And, and Torin is like the only person in the room that's like, this is what's best for everyone. And this is the kindest and safest way to achieve that goal. So let's do that. Yeah. And even like, like part of you wants to be like, Kai, it's good. Like we're, I'm proud of you for sharing that there's an antidote out there and like trying to change things. But I also, as an adult or like, at, like Torrin's perspective too, of like, we don't want to start spreading rumors. Like this could be dangerous. We don't know. Like, especially they don't trust Lavana that much, <laughs> if at all. Well, it's also going to cause downright panic. Yeah. If you found out, if, think about like, if, if we're dealing with our own pandemic right now, right? Think about the repercussions of, President Donald Trump tweeting, I've got the cure in room B in the White House. That place is going to get stormed within seconds. This situation is no different. If Kai walks around and is like, I've got an antidote. I mean, I know it works, but I don't actually have it. And I'm not going to get it unless I marry the Wicked Witch of the West. But there is one out there. Well, you've now put that information in the world. And the consequences could be like literally a riot outside the palace demanding that that antidote be given to the loved ones of people who may only have two days left or three days left or two hours left. Like they need that antidote or their loved one is going to die. Yep. And again, you want to test it because what if you gave it to everyone and it just made you like more susceptible to the lunar curse or something? (laughs) Exactly. And that's what Torin is saying. Like we haven't even tested this yet. Yep. Yeah. And I think he, he has a motivation too, where like, he wants to protect Kai. And I think that's why I yeah. like Torin so much as a character because he, he isn't just this like kind of emotionless figurehead who just wants what's best for everyone. Like he also has a motivation. Like he wants Kai to succeed as emperor and he wants what's best for him as a person. And like, you definitely see that he absolutely does care about him. And especially mm-hmm. with Kai's father gone too, it's like he's kind of become the, um, the father figure for him. That's um, so true. And so I love that even though he's such a, I mean, I wouldn't say he's a minor character, but he's not one of the main, main MCs, but 
uh, Marissa Meyer still gave him like a clear motivation and a clear line of empathy towards him that we can like really kind of like rally behind him as a as readers. And I, I just admire that. I mean, he's so critical to the plot and he still has personal character development and growth. So I would say that, okay, yeah, he's not the prince, but he's still a, a major character in the series. He has weight and the decisions that he makes have an impact that are lasting. Yeah, and it's so good for Kai to be seen as someone beyond just the emperor or just the figurehead or just someone who can do something for me or for my country, right? Like, you're so right. He's one of the, maybe Sender too, but they haven't interacted in so long, Um, but one of the few people who, like, sees Kai as a person also. Mm -hmm. I agree. And he's he's not obtuse to Kai's shortcomings, you know? Like, he's not... I feel like he tries to apply everything in a diplomatic way, but he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't like handhold Kai. He's not like, you know, let me take care of this for you. You poor little thing. He's like, dude, I'm sorry you got shoved into this. I'm sorry that your dad died, but we have got to get shit done. Yeah. yeah. Because the world is literally falling apart. <laughs> the world is literally falling apart. So Kai bumps into this screen and an image of a cyborg body pops up. And we actually saw this in book one. And he he realizes it's Cinder. This is where he remembers all of the cyborg things. It's her eyes. It's her brain. This is when Audrey said she couldn't cry. And he feels like it's an invasion of her privacy. Like he shouldn't be looking at this holograph of her. Yeah, he's not turned off in like a way. He's like, oh, I it's yeah, an invasion of her privacy. I like that yeah. reaction also. It's appreciated. Agreed. Yeah. He realizes that she hasn't given him permission to see this side of her that she obviously hid from him. And so he he turns off the the screen, which is great. I feel like Thorne could learn a lot from him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because Thorne yeah. would be like, whoa! <laughs> whoa, look at that brain! Yeah, he'd be a nightmare. <laughs> and I, I love this moment from Torin. I love Torin's compassionate side. Kai says he doesn't know if his feelings are legit. And Torin in this moment, we know Torin does not much care for Cinder. We know that he thinks she's a complication, a distraction, a, someone that's dangerous to to Kai, to the world at large. But he doesn't lie to Kai. He gives Kai this teeny tiny window of hope. Mm-hmm. The lunar gift has limitations. If Lynn Cinder had been forcing these feelings onto you, then he wouldn't still be feeling them. Yeah, and Kai was vulnerable to even ask that, right? He was basically like, I did have feel, or I thought I had legitimate feelings, but I have no idea. Was it all a lunar trick? And then he, yeah, you're right. He's like, well, if it was a lunar trick, you wouldn't be questioning it still. Yeah. And then he goes further on to say like, don't feel bad about that because then Kai's kind of embarrassed because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm not really good at hiding my emotions, you know? And Torin was like, yeah, I, I actually think that's one of your better qualities. Like you aren't afraid of being vulnerable or, you know, even if you don't like being vulnerable, like you would at least still show that part of yourself, which I think um, is really needed for a roller. You need to be able to, to be relatable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like how he then responds like, that's what I liked about Cinder too. (laughs) Yes. That's what he liked about Cinder. She didn't try 
Sometimes it just seems like everyone around me is pretending. The Lunars are the worst. Lavana and her entourage, everything about them is so fake. I mean, I'm engaged to Lavana and I still don't even know what she really looks like. But it isn't just them. It's the other union leaders, even my own cabinet members. Everyone is trying to impress everyone else, trying to make themselves out to be smarter or more confident than they actually are. And then there was Cinder, this completely normal girl working this completely mundane job, always covered in dirt and grease. And she was so brilliant when she was fixing things. And she joked with him and she laughed with him. And she seemed to always be so genuine. And she... And, and that's, I think, what hurts him the most is that he thought he found someone who didn't really care that he was the prince, who didn't put all these expectations on him, who wasn't trying to hide who she was or act different. And so to find out that she was actually hiding something, mm-hmm. uh, what he thinks is two things, because he also thinks she was hiding the lunar thing. It, it's I could see why that would be devastating, whether you know she was lying, like using her gift or not. Yeah, well, I think he still assumed she was using her gift, even if it wasn't to make him like her. But he he just, yeah, he assumes that she was not being honest about and genuine, the two things he liked most about her. Um, which is a fair assumption with what he knows at this point. We know that she didn't know, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> you can see how it would be super devastating for him. <laughs> well, no, you can just see how it would be super devastating for him. Like the one person who you think you feel a connection with and then not only is she like everyone else she's actually kind of worse if you if you believe it because she's you know he thinks that she's trying to manipulate him like using her scary superpowers like that is really (laughs) devastating if you think about it i agree and yeah and then like like you said torin says you know and yet you're still trying to find reasons to believe in her so He just wants to know more about her, you know, and he does. Lunars are immune. Her eyes are man-made or or tampered with. Her mother sold her. She loved her sister. The cyborg draft is still going on. And then Kaya's like, wait, the cyborg draft. Why did we choose cyborgs to begin with? And this, again, Torin is like trying to get him back on on track. He's like, dude, wedding, alliance, antidote. We got shit to do. (laughs) It's a but Kai is pretty convinced in these convictions. He's like, yeah, and it's a valid question. So quit wasting my time and give me the information I need. And I, I and like because when he first, <laughs> when he first <laughs> asked the question, I think Torn assumed it was just about Sender also. But he's really again, right. Sender's like his entryway into kind of empathizing with cyborgs or like realize recognizing that things haven't been fair or just in in his country right yeah and you know he has a moment where he's like well if it has to do with my citizen oh they're not technically citizens we get a lot of information here that we've been desperate to have since we found out there was a cyborg issue in like chapter one of cinder (laughs) so the cyborgs have this this issue. There was a cyborg protection act that had been instated by his grandfather decades ago. Uh, it came after a series of devastating cyborg crimes has caused widespread hatred, protests prompted by the violence spree, and they were a result of generations of growing disdain. For years, people had been complaining about the rising population of cyborgs many of whom received their surgeries at the hands of taxpayers. Cyborgs were too smart. 
They were cheating the average man out of his wages. They were too skilled. They were taking jobs away from average citizens. They were too strong. They shouldn't be allowed to play in sporting events. They had unfair advantages. One small group of cyborgs went on a spree of violence, and that was it. This is why I hate people. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I was going to say, such a lot to unpack here. There's a lot going on there. That's why I was like, okay, I'm just going to like summarize this and then we can talk because there's a lot of information there. And like I said, we've been, we, the reader, we've been desperate to understand this whole situation since book one. Yeah. yeah I remember Katie and I talking about this too on, on our podcast. Cause we were so, we kept speculating about like, why do people hate cyborg so much? Like, what is the reason? There has to be a reason. And, um, yeah, I think this this cyborg uprising that happened is the crux of it, but it's easy to just say like, okay, well, cyborgs, you know, revolted and proved that they were violent and, you know, too strong. But then you have to stop and think, well, why did they revolt in the first place? Like, right. that's really what the heart of it is, you know? Like, And also five um, bad eggs in a group of people is not indicative of the whole group of people, right? <laughs> but that's all it takes. Yeah. Like, right. they're, they're definitely probably full humans who were caught doing violent, destructive, thieving things, but that was excused. But the cyborgs did, and it was like, oh, well, that they're representative of all cyborgs. And I'm not saying it's not messy, because it is. Like, you know, if, really? if your brain is part computer, and your muscles are part steel, and you do have, you know, these immense advantages that some people don't, I think you, you can kind of see how, how the people who didn't have those quote unquote advantages could feel upset by it. But then you can also see the cyborgs who are like, well, why are we even calling these advantages? Like I didn't, I didn't ask to be horrifically injured and then have my body parts replaced with computers and steel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that is partly why Kai starts to question it, you know, is it possible these laws are wrong? It goes against his tradition and his family to ask that question, but is it possible that laws are wrong? And Torrin, again, very transparent. Like the laws were made with good intentions and the violence has never reached that peak again. So obviously they're effective in the sense that they have prevented more violence, but it is the mark of a great leader to question the, the decisions that came before him. And I like right before he says the and yet, Kai, it said Kai's shoulders slope. Torin was probably right. His grandfather had probably been right. And yet, and then Torin goes into it. So it, it, it like Torin is showing both sides of the coin a little bit. And Kai's sort of like, okay, I guess I shouldn't question this. But then he gives him just enough to be like, no, it's good that you're asking or thinking about it. And like, you shouldn't just accept the way things have always been because that's the way things have or not even always been have been for two generations or whatever it is. But. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. If it, You should never just accept things the way they are. You know, one of the things, and I don't like to get too political on the podcast, so we won't take too much time on it, but the black lives matter movement was huge this year and is still going on. And one of the things that I got frustrated with living here in Mississippi and again, bad apples. I'm not claiming that all of Mississippi is horrible, but I kept hearing people say over and over again, well, that's not how we do it down here. And I so badly wanted to be like, yeah, that's why there are people protesting in the streets because that's not Mm -hmm. how you do it, but it should be. And it's a similar situation here. Okay. 
no, that's not how you do it. But should it be? Should you take into consideration the consequences of your actions? And it also, these are like really big questions. I think, Marissa, you were saying something earlier too, when we were talking about all the reasons why the cyborg law went into play. Like these aren't simple things. It's not like, oh, let's just get rid of the cyborg law because it's silly. Uh No, there's all these layers and points of view. And maybe the cyborg law isn't the right answer. I would say probably not the right answer, but there is. It, there were problems that needed to be addressed and like going back and like untangling all of that and figuring out how to address like the true root of the problem is not an easy task for anyone. True. And it's, but it's also so true that too, that like when you enforce certain laws, maybe the problems you expected to solve did get solved, but at what cost? And I think that's what they're trying to evaluate here. Like, yes, maybe it solved some issues, but it created other ones and harmed a certain group of people. And, you know, I think it is, I think, difficult if you're a leader to to go back and admit that you're wrong, but is so, so important. And so I think um, I like that Torin and Kai are on the same page about that to say, like, yeah, we do need to reevaluate this and, like, figure out what part of the law is working, what part isn't. And fix it because laws have unforeseeable consequences yep and so do numbers like numbers can tell stories different ways like even if we talk about like the covid stuff right some people are like well the reason we're seeing more cases is because we're testing more if we stop testing there or you know like there's different things yeah well that's just we just have less data is that really telling a different story or we just don't know the same i don't know like they're like you can make numbers say different things if you yeah and and it's all about the way that information is presented too because if i were to say like oh that only affects one percent of the world population well that doesn't seem like very much but one percent of the world population is 75 million people all of a sudden it seems like a much bigger number right so perception has a lot to do with it and you know, the perception that we as the reader are given is that cyborgs were dangerous. And so there was a law put into effect to protect average citizens from cyborg citizens. And that Kai, like he said, he's always agreed with the law. Why wouldn't he? But now, now maybe they should think about that. There's a draft subject in this very research wing at this very moment. I'm sure this seems like an immediate problem to him or her. Yep. That's everything. Mm-hmm. because it does I, I get that there's bigger things going on in the world but like we said to that one person there's not there's yep. nothing else left in the world but hoping they get the placebo and survive and it's yep, so true that, that, so that cyborg but I also love how Torin's response is just like you can't solve every problem your first week in the office <laughs> right <laughs> that's also true like you can't but again, Kai hears what he wants to hear in that sentence. Okay, so you agree that it's a problem. I love both of them in this. Both, both yeah. of them in this conversation are great. Thousands of citizens are dying from this disease. Would you discontinue the draft and the research opportunities it provides on the basis that the Lunars are going to solve this for us? Using cyborgs and only cyborgs, it seems wrong. Because of Lincender? No. Because of everyone. Because whatever science has made them, they were once human too. And they can't, I can't believe they're all monsters. So again, we have this implication that cyborgs aren't humans, they're monsters. Like, like before when Cinder was like, all lunars are savages. And Dr. Erlon was like, you know, 
it's this this stereotype of everybody is lumped into this one circle. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're only getting that information that is feeding your fear instead of offering any other counterpoints, I mean, that's what you're going to end up believing. And that's what you're going to see, unfortunately. So well said. Feeding your fear and not your counterpoints. Like, just perfect way of phrasing that. it's It's just so true. And so I think, like, the fact that Kai knows Cinder now and he's like, well, you know, I know that cyborgs are human and we need to look at them in a different way. And we need to kind of question everything that we've been taught about them because, you know, who made, who made, who came up with that information in the first place and why, and why was that the only vision propagated and to what effect? And um, yeah, I I like when he says, I don't believe, I can't believe that they're all monsters whose idea was this anyway. (laughs) It was Erlon's idea. Actually, (laughs) if I recall, it was Dimitri Erlon's idea. We had many meetings about it. Your father wasn't sure at first, but Dr. Erlon convinced us that it was for the best of the Commonwealth. Cyborgs are easy to register, easy to track, and with their legal restrictions, easy to take advantage of. No. Easy to convince (laughs) both them and the people that they are the best candidates for the testing. And it is this very concept that makes me die on the hill that Dr. Erland is Slytherin. We had, I've had several conversations about this, including with Marissa. I'm sorry. Murdering thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with the end goal in mind of maybe it will be for the better good. I, I can't, that's just Slytherin. And that's a, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but to me, that's like a very Slytherin concept. He put all of his, all of this into motion and we as the reader know that he did all of it just to find Celine. I mean, yeah, it's ambition without any kind of uh, checks on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like unlimitless ambition. And what happens when you do that? Like you narrow in and become very self-focused on one goal and you completely forget to look at the other things that are happening around you. And I think that is really Slytherins in a nutshell. So I agree yeah. with you. I love the one track mind scientist, medical person, greater. Like (laughs) this is like one of my favorite characters to have in a book. It's a great trope. Yeah, I love the mad scientist. Yeah, definitely a mad scientist. Keeps like interjecting him, so he's like, "Yes, easy to to register. Oh, you mean easy to take advantage of? No, because they're the best candidates. Because oh, because they're not human. Like I love how he keeps challenging him and just." you know, reframing the conversation and well, we just need, if, if everyone was a Kai. Like he's mm-hmm. bringing up the points that are, are really relevant because like, they're both bringing up the points that are relevant, but Kai is seeing it all from a different perspective. It's such a cool way to like give background on this world and why things are the way they are. Yes. We've had to wait two and a half books to get there and and whatnot but it this conversation feels so natural for kai's character development but we are getting a lot of this background world building like why have some of these things that we've just accepted so far in the book because we've been told that's the way they are but like where did it come from Mm -hmm. why is it there and then having like the growth piece of him questioning it and whatnot is great like i think this could have been told as like 
some history book that was referenced or like some flashback to when he learned about it the first time. And that would have been so boring compared to the way Mm -hmm. him and Torin are talking through this. And you're kind of getting that perspective in this conversation. Or even it could have been like from Cinder's perspective, like she's got that Google search in her head. Yeah. You know, Marissa could have given it to us in book one as like a side piece where Cinder was like, well, this is the law, remember, or something, you know, (laughs) and instead she's like, I'm going to make them stew and I'm going to wait for the opportune moment. And, you know, like she said, not only like, like you said, not only is this an opportune moment for us as the reader, but it goes with Kai's um, emotional character growth. It goes with Torrin's emotional character growth and how Torrin sees Kai because, you know, some parts of Torrin still see Kai as the teenage kid and some parts of him are trying to see the emperor within. And it's just, it's, it's a much better way for us as the reader to get this information. Mm -hmm. And what a great way to unpack it. Like just in terms of pacing too, because you're right. It could have been so easy to just have like a boring info dump. Um, But I'm just like imagining how hard it would have been to map out like four books that are pretty long and then have like, cause this is an extremely important question that we needed to have answered. I can just imagine like Marissa Meyer having this as like a huge poster on her wall being like, remember <laughs> to explain the cyborgs. Like please do not leave this out. Like, ah, just in terms of like organization, I don't know how she did it. It's really amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And I love that it's this heated discussion too. It's not like, Hey, what's this about? Oh, uh, this, why? this okay it's this heated discussion it is a genuine debate between two for all intents and purposes allies to peers to a certain extent to people that care about each other and their country and have the same goals in mind and just have different ways of trying to reach those goals and they are just bickering back and back and back and forth and they both bring up such good points and you know, the, the next point that Torin brings up is, look, their bodies were already aided by science, so it's their turn to give back. And Kai says, they should have had a choice. Well, they had a choice when they accepted the alterations. Everyone is well aware of the laws regarding cyborg rights. And Kai flips his lid. <laughs> he gets angry. He shoves his hand out to the screen that had Cinder's cyborg body on it. And he said, Cinder became a cyborg when she was 11 after a freak hover accident. You think an 11 year old had a choice about anything? And before Torin can even say like, well, her parents, they remember. No one knows what happened to Cinder's parents. All they know is that they died in the hover accident. So no one knows who approved her surgery, how it got paid for, what set all of that into motion. And so Torin says, well, she's a unique circumstance. Is she, though? Yeah, I was going to say, even if she's not, like, what about all the rest of them? I mean, this just kind of reminds me of, like, when people say um, that movie stars or famous people have no right to privacy because they chose to be movie stars. And, like, well, it comes with the territory. Like, they should have known when Mm -hmm. they decided to become famous. You know, it just kind of reminds me of that where it's like, okay, yes, maybe, you know, there is a cause and effect and people are aware of it, but like, it doesn't mean that they're not human. It doesn't take away their humanity and their, their need for everything that humans need, including privacy and including, you know, dignity um, and respect. So I think, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I would call her an unusual circumstance. And what, I mean, it's, it might be a choice, but like, I, I mean, I don't know why everyone, 
makes these cyborg decisions. But if it's something like you can either like live with this particular disability, that's going to make your life harder, or you can um, get your leg replaced with metal parts or something like that. Like, I mean, it is a choice, but it's, it's like, you've been put in a circumstance where you're, yeah, you're not given the same choices as like people who, who didn't have a tragic accident or whatever. It's, it's like so I unfair. Mean, it's to be it's like, like yeah. yeah, they have a choice, but to what extent? Yeah. Is their choice right. going to be that they're blind for the rest of their lives if they don't get this this surgery? Is their choice going to be that they are missing a hand or a foot or a rib cage mm-hmm. or the ability to to hear? I mean, yes, it's their choice. You could say that with every medical um intervention, but but it probably wasn't their choice to lose their hearing in the first place or whatever. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> these all happen because of freak accidents. You know, as far as we know, no one chopped off their hand and said, can I have a free surgery? So. And even if some know, people do things like that, there's enough evidence, like you would think, especially if you're giving up a lot of your rights, the vast majority of these are a, really no choice or no good choice. Yeah. yeah. Those are maybe maybe not life or death, but certainly the quality of life is being taken into consideration. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's kind of the end of the chapter. Kai says mm. that he's done. He's ending the cyborg draft today. He just can't do it anymore. And Torin says, "Are you sure this is the message you want to send to the people that we're giving up on an antidote?" Kai says, "We're not giving up. I'm not giving up. But we can't force people into this." We'll raise the grant money for volunteers. We'll increase awareness programs, encourage people to volunteer themselves if they choose to. But as of now, the draft is over. Okay. Right? So I'm so glad from a, I love like the political choices piece. And I feel like he's getting good information and making good choices for like the good of the world. But I also, Mm -hmm. I feel like he got so many clues about who Cinder really (laughs) is. And I just want him to put it together. Because wasn't he asking about Celine and like, book yes whatever. he's obsessed with finding celine so that he doesn't have to deal with lavana yeah but i want him to like connect the dots <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of it too is like perhaps it never occurred to him that celine was on earth and in, in general i don't know but now he's starting to realize that there's more lunars that have been here longer than ever he's remembering yep. that they don't know anything about who sponsored cinders like he's getting all these clues and um I, it's, it probably would have been, if he had gotten it in this chapter, I probably would have been like, oh my goodness, that was way too fast. But part of me is <laughs> like, you have it all there. Just connect the dots. <laughs> but, you know, it's also important that we get this information because yep. we have to assume at some point that Cinder is going to tell him or that it's going to be revealed or that he's going to find out. And he has to believe it. <laughs> there has to yes. be enough, there to has to be enough circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence for him to be like, oh, that makes sense. And that again, there was sense. so much in there that was like, progress from a development standpoint, progress from a us getting background mm-hmm. standpoint. I mean, like w- there was a lot, a lot in that chapter, but mm-hmm. I'm just excited for him to connect the dots. He's got the breadcrumbs. <laughs> He's got the breadcrumbs. You have all the puzzle pieces <laughs> and you even finished the corners. Now just take care of the middle. What was your chapter title for this one, Marissa? Okay. So I have a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <Woo-hoo! Sorry. laughs> Um, I was just really, um, I don't know, I was kind of, no, I was just feeling reflective about how weird it is to be reading a book about a plague while living through a pandemic. 
Um, and just kind of like, I don't know, the fear that people fear feel and the uncertainty and like not knowing a lot about the disease and how scary that is. And, um, you know, just hoping that everyone gets through it okay. So I picked that really um, kind of sweet, sensitive song um, by Taylor Swift, the Soon You'll Get Better. Which um, I can't listen which, to. Oh, I know. I, I listened to it once and I cannot get through it. I bawl my eyes out every time. It's so incredibly well written. It's like, it's it's painstaking. Yeah. I mean, and, and she said like she, I mean, I know she performed it once. Um, but Did you watch I, that I performance? She, she barely made it through. Yeah. And I remember, I remember she she gave an interview earlier where she said, um, you know, this is like the hardest song I've ever written and I, I can't sing it. And I was just like, yeah, yeah I don't play. Like I can't even listen to it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I did watch that video and it was so hard to get through. Um, but I, I think the reason it is, is because it's, it, it just, it speaks to you on that level that is just like so excruciating that like you spend the majority of your life trying to avoid going there. <laughs> You know, because it's too painful, like you have to protect yourself. But, um, you know, I, th I think everyone can really relate to it. And um, I respect her for writing it, for sure. And for sharing it. Yeah, I mean, because that was about a really personal moment of her life um, and her family's life. And she didn't have to share that with us. But I think she she knew on a deeper level, like, you know, I know I'm not the only one who's gone through things like this. Um, and let's share that and and kind of make it known that like everyone has moments like this like this is some this is part of being human it's the really really sucky part but um it, it is still part of being human yeah yeah well said how about you katie i just want to say one thing marissa it is so interesting to reread this book in our world today and like mm -hmm. to relate with covid and some of the other things going on in a different way than when we read it we read this. This was season one, right? This is our first series. So this is the very first series we read on our show. Yeah, so four it, years ago. It's just, and it's it makes me respect Marissa Meyer even more for like writing some of this so well, even though we hadn't experienced it yet. You know, but mm -hmm. yeah, um, disturbingly present. <laughs> I also picked a T Swift song, but I went in a slightly different direction. So I was thinking about how Kai's coming, kind of coming into this like emperor role. I can make decisions and like change the law and like do things differently than my predecessors kind of a little bit. So I went with the, um, Wait, can the I young. Guess? Oh, sorry. Yes. Good. <laughs> oh, never mind. Good. I was going to try and guess. <laughs> was, what were you, was that what you were going to guess? No. <laughs> what were you going to guess? I'm no. so curious. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have time to think about it. Sorry. <laughs> so only the young was on the, uh, Miss Americana, uh, documentary though like kind of voting ish song about you know like kind of encouraging people to like get out and like we're young and we can change the world kind of song so um that's that's what I went with <laughs> like, like they aren't gonna change this we well. gotta do it ourselves they think that it's over but it's only just begun I don't know I think Kai would love Taylor Swift I <laughs> think Kai would I so like, love Taylor Swift I think he would be a Swifty <laughs> yeah so would Cress. <laughs> So with Thorn, I think oh, Thorn would sure. like Thorn's jam is shake it off and <laughs> Can we please like have someone who's an illustrator like do a fan art of all of the characters <laughs> at a T Swift concert, please? 
Okay, That'd every so fan or person listening, that is your your goal for twenty twenty one. Love it. Um, so I went a very different direction. <laughs> I chose "Man in the Mirror" by Michael Jackson. Um, Ooh, I, I feel song. like this is Ty's moment of "Man in the Mirror." Like. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. That is exactly what Kai is doing in this moment. He is having a moment of reflection of the choices of his ancestors, the choices of his government, the choices that have affected his citizens, even if they are cyborgs. And he's having this moment of like, I'm the start of this. I'm the catalyst, the person who can generate change in this situation. It starts with me and this is what I'm going to do. And so like, I, I immediately thought of that song after reading this chapter and thinking like, what song am I going to pick? And that popped into my head so quickly. That's one of the few songs I know besides T-Swift and I approve. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, it's just lyrics mean a lot to me. I'm one of those people. Like it's not, obviously I love when songs sound pretty, but lyrics have like a very big impact on whether or not I like a song or a musician or a writer. And that's why you're a T-Swift fan. Cause she's all about right? lyrics. Cause mm-hmm. her lyrics are amazing. I mean, you can't listen to all too well and not tell me that it's a mm-hmm. lyrical masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's interesting to, to think about the world in this place. And it's, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself, make a change. That is what Kai is doing in this moment. He 100%. knows it's his job as an emperor to make the world a better place for him, for himself, for his citizens, for future generations, for the betterment of other countries in the world that are his allies. And he's this person that can start that. And so that's what he's doing by questioning the laws that came before him, by questioning the motivation behind those laws and by questioning what he can do to fix them. Yep. For sure. He's taking a hard look inward. Yes, absolutely. There was so So much in this chapter. (laughs) I know. know. This is a big chapter. (laughs) That's why I was like, well, the first one's going to take like five minutes. Uh, (laughs) The second chapter, there's so much emotional depth. I'm also just like struck by like what a great, like I know we talk a lot about how like Harry Potter, um, the text itself, like JK rolling aside, the text itself is like so, such a good learning opportunity for children because it's disguising it's taking really relevant, important information that is in the world today and it is making, it's twisting it a little bit, right? And it's disguising it in a way that is easy for children to digest. And I would say that like, it's so interesting that it's happening in this book too, because, you know, even though it's like, we're talking about cyborgs, you know, or we're talking about um, lunars, but like you can see the parallels there Mm -hmm. and, um, especially for someone who is a young adult or like, you know, I, I would say even like a middle grade reader could, could pick this up um, mm-hmm. just to kind of get that framework in your mind and like have that perspective and like, yes, it, it, they're cyborgs, but just to be able to see the larger, the larger connection to real, to the real world, I think it's just like so important to like plant into people's minds when they're a young age. And I think, totally. I think this does it really well. Understanding the other, right? 
Yeah. yeah, understanding the other. And then I also think that that's a lot of why certain things are happening now, not to give too much credit, but I mean, we're talking about generations of people that grew up with Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and the testing and all yeah. these series of books and novels and movies that taught us to question authority, to question the media and propaganda and where we get our information and to stand up and defend people who can't defend themselves to stand up and fight for what we think is morally right. And that we have an and obligation to do those things. Check your privilege. Yeah. And like Kai and- doing. <laughs> that's exactly what Kai is doing. Kai is checking his privilege. He had that moment where he realized his father died with all the luxuries in the world. And most people with the plague probably never even see their loved ones again. Right. And that you can do it as a young person. You don't need to like be an adult or have everything figured out, right? We can fight and stand up for others and make the world a better place, even if we're 16, 17, 18, whatever that looks like. It starts from within. Yep. And if you're even if you're confused while doing it, that's okay too. Like Kai is extremely confused and conflicted and like that's part of the process, right? Yeah. And it's not like this is fully figured out. It's not like he's fully decided like, okay, no more cyber protection act or how about this instead? Or he's like, okay, well for now I'm starting with this. Yep. One step at a time. Yeah. I love that about reading. I say that all the time with fiction. Like I learn a lot from reading nonfiction, but I learned so much from reading fiction because it makes me mm-hmm. empathetic, be able to like understand things from other perspectives, like just think about the world more outside of my own lens, right? (laughs) I mean, reading makes you question the content of the book, but you can apply it to your own reality. And then it gets you to question the world around you. And when you ask those questions, that's when change can really take occurrence. Yep. So let's go ahead and talk about our chapter quotes. Whoever wants to go first. So I mentioned I love Torin. My quote (laughs) was one of Torin's quotes this time. Um, And it was when they were talking about like the cyborg law and Kai was starting to question it. And he responded with, I believe it is the mark of a great leader to question the decisions that came before him. Perhaps once we've solved some of our more immediate problems, we can readdress this. And I like both sides of that. I like that he was again, encouraging Kai to like question some things and like continue to be a good leader and, and what that looks like. But then on the flip side, I love this other piece of the quote where it's like, we have so many problems going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't add more to your plate. So I picked the one that um, the practitioner says where she says we've all lost someone to this disease just because that really rang true for me and um, I'm sure a lot of people at this time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does ring true for a lot of people at this time and We've all lost someone to something. Yep. And and whether that's what motivates you to do certain things in your life or not, it definitely has an effect on you throughout the rest of your life. Absolutely. And it can either, I don't know, it can it can transform you for the good or for the worse, I would say. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think in this book, um, Kai, you know, losing his dad and realizing that he has to step up and take his place, I think is like a huge driving force between a lot of his actions. Um, and then also saying like, you know, I, I, we, I did go through this tragedy, but I'm not alone. Like we've all have lost someone. Um, and just fe- kind of feeling that, um, that knowledge that like, 
we're collectively going through something together and it's that makes us stronger you know we're not just all suffering alone in silence even though it sometimes feels like that um but we are like all part of a bigger picture and i think kai being sympathetic of that is is really helpful i agree and i think that ties back into what we said about kai's character growth and development i think his arc is my favorite in this entire book honestly well then, I definitely want to hear more of your opinions when we get further in this series. <laughs> so my quote was, and she joked about stuff with me like she was talking to a normal guy, not a prince. Everything about her seemed so genuine. I love Kai and Zender. <laughs> I just want these two crazy kids to figure it out. Um, and I, I'm really sad that Kai is going through so much right now. And on top of that, he's dealing with like, does this girl really like me? Is it a trick? I still think she's a cutie patootie. Like, um, and I feel so bad for Kai in this moment because my dog is whimpering for no reason. Um, (laughs) because this is a moment where Kai has already had to be transparent about everything else. And now he's like, I just felt like she was so genuine he feels so betrayed to find out that perhaps she wasn't as genuine as he thought she was. And, um, you know, he, he's got enough going on, but on top of that, he has to deal with like his own conflicting heartbreaking emotions too. It, I, just, I just feel for yeah. the guy. Which is so kind of adorable in a way, because it's just like, he's also dealing with the problems of an entire nation. Um, right. Like you have a bigger stuff or going on. <laughs> but then he's also like, what a 16 year old boy who like, is in love for the first time. And it's just like that, um, that like paradox is just so funny to, to watch play out. And, and also just like, so heart wrenching. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So this week there was one egg. The bonus word hair appeared five times. Uh, Next week we're going to cover chapter 35. Please remember to go online and fill out the Prince Kai Fan Pod listener survey and tell me how I'm doing. Marissa, Katie, do you want to plug your podcast and tell everybody where you can find the podcast and what it's about? Oh, sure. Katie, do you want to do that? So our podcast is M&K Talk YA and we read young adult fiction series over we read like half a book every week so we, we'll go through like a trilogy in six weeks or something like that um and where can you find us marissa oh, we also um well we also don't read anything that isn't fully out yet so you won't find any like partially completed series on our list which is you kind of breaks my heart because <laughs> i know there's just so many books that i want to read but we won't read anything unless it's fully out so um i hate being left on the cliffhanger and waiting for a year so that's yeah. partially and then fault. also you're like waiting for a year for your podcast you have to schedule everything around when that next book comes <laughs> exactly. out exactly oh yes. yeah planning was a nightmare but um you can find <laughs> us on um pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts we're on spotify we're on apple um we have a website mnktalkya.com and you can also find us on facebook and instagram at m and k talk ya all spelled out wonderful thank you both so much for being here i love getting to talk to you and i think and think you're both so wise and well-spoken and well-knowledgeable when it comes to literature and writing. And I, I look forward to doing more episodes with you in the future. Yeah, it's so fun. Thanks for Take having care. us. We love Absolutely. being on the show. Yay! <laughs> so everyone... 
I hope you do come back. I have lots left. <laughs> Only if Thorn makes an appearance. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, he's coming back to you. <laughs> So listeners, please stay safe and healthy. Keep reading, keep listening. And until next time, don't get glamored. Bye. 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 The passages read for you today are from Crest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guests were Marissa and Katie from MNK Talk YA Podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. When we got Verizon 5G home internet, it sounded like it could handle all our needs. But one thing it couldn't handle was our frustration. And hey, we deserve reliable internet. It's time for better internet. Fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts.